on this episode, we'll continue our discussion about the impact of accurate diagnosis and documentation of sepsis on clinical practice and hospital operations. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal of Operations and Quality of Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again from Vizient is Linda Weissman, Senior Consultant Director for Clinical Documentation Improvement at Vizient. Linda, welcome back. I'm glad to be back. Thank you, Tom. So let's recap from last time. We spoke about the SERS criteria for CMS, SOFA for many of the other third-party organizations. But when it comes to it, when we are concerned as clinicians that sepsis going on, there are specific things we need to document. Can you recap that, please? Sure. We need to talk about sepsis as being one of the highest denied DRGs for most hospitals. So our documentation needs to include all of the clinical indications that a provider feels is clinically supported in a diagnosis of sepsis, as well as any end organ damage that they feel is linked to that septic condition. That actually sets it up really nice. So there's also some coding guidelines when it comes to sepsis. Can you explain those for us? Yes. The underlying systemic infection code, sepsis is coded first in most normal circumstances, followed by the localized infection. Negative or inconclusive blood cultures do not preclude a diagnosis of sepsis in patients with clinical evidence of the condition. For coding, it really doesn't matter if we're looking at sepsis 2 or 3 criteria. It only matters that the sepsis is clearly documented and noted as present on admission in the record to be used as principal diagnosis. You know, Linda, there are some new tools out there that are not specific to a blood culture where they are detecting organisms in the blood, but then the blood culture ends up being negative, and we know a certain percentage of blood cultures are falsely negative. Does that still help with the criteria of sepsis? It does. A lot of times we'll get providers who will be writing bacteremia, and that's when as a clinical documentation specialist, we need to query to clarify if that bacteremia is truly a septic condition. So how does present on admission factor into documentation, or POA? Sequencing sepsis and POA, we need to keep in mind that with a diagnosis of sepsis, it is essential to indicate if this condition was present on admission to be able to capture the sepsis as principal diagnosis to drive the DRG. Many providers don't realize that if a diagnosis is introduced on day two or three of the stay, if they don't indicate that that condition was present on admission, it cannot be sequenced by coding as the principal diagnosis, and therefore the underlying infection will probably be what drives your DRG. It'll be a lower-weighted, lower-reimbursed DRG. Sepsis is a high-weighted DRG that will accurately reflect the mortality risk of the patient. So this is stating more importantly, every time I admit a patient through the ED or if I'm coming in by transfer, If I believe the patient has some underlying function or finding consistent with sepsis, it's important that I document that. It is. Even if you're only suspecting sepsis at this point, you can start the documentation by saying potential, still to be ruled out, likely sepsis condition. And then when it's confirmed, you can firm up that documentation a little bit more. Or even if you still suspect it, if you carry that through to the discharge summary, then that will be coded as the principal diagnosis. And Linda, you also mentioned that there's a high deniability rate associated with sepsis. So how do you avoid that from happening? 
accuracy. Accuracy is what is needed in sepsis documentation, even when resolved and carried through to the discharge summary. To prevent denials, as sepsis is a high-risk DRG for denials, as we've said before, make sure to document sepsis and carry through to the progress notes and into the discharge summary, even when resolved. Simply write resolved by the condition. Also, be sure to link, again, any end organ damage to the sepsis if applicable. I know I keep saying that, but I can't drive home that point enough to make sure that any type of end organ damage is linked to the sepsis when we suspect it's due to the sepsis. Linda, we've also done a lot of work together around the country in reference to mortality improvement, particularly when it comes to the mortality national quality scorecards. So even if you're thinking big picture, it's important that you truly reflect how sick your patients are as a whole and not just patients that you expect they're most likely going to die. That way it helps with the expected mortality component. Can you elaborate that just a little bit more for our listeners? Sure. As providers, a lot of times we don't think about those comorbid conditions that we're just simply monitoring by the patients in the hospital. But what's not realized is many of those diagnoses that we feel are minimal are truly mortality variables that help drive that O to E mortality ratio. I'm talking about things like chronic fluid and electrolyte disorders that you may have a patient on potassium that you're continuing to treat. Their levels might be normal, but we're still supplementing that to make sure their levels stay normal so they have a chronic hypokalemia. Things like vitamin D deficiency, calcium deficiency, things like that may seem minimal, but they do help improve the mortality rankings. So as a documentation specialist, how do you approach sepsis when it's due to, say, a complication? Okay, so when I talked earlier about sepsis usually being the principal diagnosis, and it will be your principal diagnosis in all cases except when it's due to a graft or a complication. So when we're speaking of sepsis due to a graft or device, we should know with complications of care that code assignment is based on the provider's documentation of the relationship between the condition and the care or procedure. It's important to note that not all complications that occur during or following a medical treatment are classified as complications. We have to look at the clinical indications behind that. There must be a cause and effect relationship between the care provided and the condition and the indication in the documentation that it's a complication. We as CDI would query the provider for clarification if not clearly documented. If sepsis is due to a complication implant or graft, the complication will be sequenced as the principal diagnosis and the sepsis will then be coded as a secondary diagnosis and a major comorbid condition. This is the only exception to the sepsis as principal diagnosis. So what about viral sepsis? I know that you and I have actually been quite a few discussions sometimes even with other clinicians that viruses don't cause sepsis, but they do. Is there any issue or concern there? Yeah, they do. You don't know how many times I've heard the argument, well, their white count's not elevated. Well, it's viral, okay? Viral sepsis is very underdiagnosed, and we're seeing more and more of it clinically indicated viral sepsis with the advent of COVID. Viral sepsis is simply defined as life-threatening organ dysfunction due to a dysregulated host response to viral infection in both adult and pediatric populations. Sepsis can be multifactorial and have underlying viral and bacterial etiologies in the same patient. So we as a CDI team, if we feel like they have both viral and bacterial 
sepsis, need to make sure that we're getting that documented clearly that both are indicative on this patient. Viral infections can also severely affect those with already compromised immune systems. So once again, it's very important for our CDI teams to query and get this diagnosis out there in front of the providers so they can actually diagnose this as clinically applicable for our patients. I will say again, it's a very underdiagnosed septic condition. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. And then going back to you made the comment that there's high levels of denials occurring from sepsis. We also know that sepsis is probably one of the most expensive diagnoses out there. Is, is that one of the reasons behind it? Yes, that is one of the reasons behind that. And I hate to bring the topic out in the front, but a lot of times we're getting to facilities and organizations that want to code to prevent denial. So if they feel like the sepsis is not clinically indicated, they simply won't code it. And that's not the best way to go about this. We need to code what the providers are documenting. If we feel like we need to query on the back end for a clinical validation query, then that's what needs to happen. But we do need to code these records the way the providers are documenting. Denials, again, as we said in the previous program, denials come from each insurance company by percentage. Most insurance companies do deny a certain percentage of cases. And again, sepsis being one of those that is scrutinized will be denied quite often. What's one message that you can give clinicians on why they should take denials seriously? Well, denials is our reimbursement. We're getting money taken away. So we need to make sure that our documentation is clear and precise And as a CDI team, we're looking for more than one CC or comorbid condition or one MCC, one major comorbid condition. A lot of programs will say, well, I've got my one MCC, so I've maxed this case out. I'm not going to continue to work this case and monitor it. That is a mistake because most of those cases with only the single comorbid and single major comorbid condition will be denied. When you have multiple comorbid and multiple major comorbid conditions, they will usually not deny those cases. Not only with denial, but sometimes they'll downgrade, which actually then kind of diminishes all the work that not only me, but the entire staff did to save this patient's life. That is correct. Please make sure once again that as providers, you link any organ involvement that you feel is due to the underlying sepsis. And for your CDI teams, Query if you see clinically indicated links to organ damage and sepsis. This will help lessen denials to have this clearly documented. Again, once again, I can't say enough. Many insurance companies use the sepsis 3 or SOFA criteria, even if as an organization we're following the CMS recognized sepsis 2 criteria. Making sure we link these conditions is critical. Linda, thanks for joining us on these two episodes. And to our listeners, you can contact Linda at her email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us a comment, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcasts at visionc.com. We posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thanks for listening.